Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of The Intelligent Moron with Alex Silva. Very, very close now to Halloween, which means we buy Halloween candy. Now, as a household, we do get visitors on Halloween like most people do. Trick-or-treating, you know, it's that time of the year. And, and stores... And everywhere selling candy in the masses, big old bags of candy, variety packs, combo packs, good candy, bad candy, different combinations, you name it. Candy is one of the highest selling items right now in the United States, thanks to Halloween. You know, it's it's there in shelves on the stores, and you know, we buy some course you know to prepare that's what we always think that we're gonna do is like oh we're just buying it to prepare for halloween that way we don't get you know wait too long before we buy candy for halloween well you know when it's just sitting there it's in the bag you know we open it we open it up and we we have some we have some of our of our stash to you know just eat here and there and i'll, I'll hand up i'm guilty I kind of have relapsed back into just consuming a ton of candy. Now, not as much as I have in the past. I will be honest. This year, I have kind of, for the most part, um, uh, dampened, or not dampened, but I have, you know, I have held back more than usual. There was a time, like I've said before in this podcast, where I had so much candy that it, it was just not a good thing. It was a bad thing. Bad, 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 horrible thing. But today, you know, I decided to, you know, treat myself, have some candy, and, and really dive in. So most of you guys know that I am a big old chocolate guy. I enjoy chocolate. My favorite candy of all time is a Snickers. Followed by Twix. Shortly after that is probably a Kit Kat. And then, I don't know, uh, Reese's, you know. Those are just like the past like five, four, five candies that I've had. And I'm not a huge, huge fan of fruit candy. I mean, they're good, but if I had to choose between a chocolate and a fruit candy, 100% of the time I'm going to pick the chocolate candy over the fruit candy, you know, pretty much 100%, 10 out of 10 times. I don't know if I said this before, though, but like between all the fruit candies... You know, one that kind of stands out to me, and I guess I would maybe maybe make this uh, one of my top fruit candies of all time, is also a very, very, very underrated candy in terms of, I think, popularity. Um, It's the Airhead. Airheads, to me, are extremely, extremely good fruit candies. Very, very good. Very tasty. In a way... They're very sweet, but also at the end of their life, they're kind of savory. It's a weird combination, but I get that feel of sweet and savory whenever I eat an airhead. And to me, it's it's not it's not liked by a whole lot of people, if I'm being completely honest. When it comes to fruit candies, most of the popularity, most of the attention goes towards um, pretty much Skittles, maybe Starburst. Um, and those are like pretty much it. Those are the candies that get the most attention um, in the fruit candy category. But I gotta say, I have to tell you this: if you have not had an Airheads in a while, I would most definitely give it a shot because it has, in my opinion, um, become a more tastier candy than the other fruit candies have. Maybe it's because I've had the other ones more frequently. And with Airheads, I usually just get them in, like, the variety pack of candies, and that's when I eat them. Maybe it's that, but nonetheless, they're an incredible candy. I think that they're way better than what people make them out to be. I'm not sure if, like, an Airhead is, is like, considered, like, a candy, or is it a taffy? Or is taffy a candy as well? I'm not too entirely sure. The difference between a taffy and a candy. I know that taffy usually, when you see taffy get made, when you're at the beach in a movie, whatever, whatever the hell, it's usually like a gigantic piece of what looks like to be rubber, like very colorful rubber 
that they'd like stretch out like a giant hook, you know, in the shop. I've seen that actually been done before. I'm like, what is that? It's taffy. Not sure why they do it like that, why they stretch it out. Maybe it's because at that point when they're doing that, it's not like edible yet. And they have to like, you know, stretch it out to make it more edible, more chewable, not a more chewy and less rubbery Then maybe it's maybe it's just gum. You know, I always kind of like wondered like why they did that and why they did that like for so long. And was there a way for them to do it at a more efficient way than by hand? But you know what? That actually kind of makes it a little bit more of a, you know, not as corporate machine made, you know, candy that makes it feel a little bit more intimate. Well, not intimate, but a little bit more, um, you know, family friendly, almost like it's like a mom and pop style, you know, that they care more about it. That's pretty much why I think that it's like that. And it also kind of gives you a little bit more of a, yeah, I'm supporting a small business. This is good. Now, I'm not sure that Laffy Taffy does the same thing. I would assume not because it's massively produced. You know, they're not going to actually do that, I think. At least not by hand. Probably probably just by a bunch of machines. And I'm pretty sure Wonka makes that candy. Wonka. Yeah. Remember that movie? Uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I think I've seen it like maybe one time all the way through. I gotta say, not my favorite Gene Wilder film. Not my favorite Gene Wilder pick. I was never really a person that wanted to rewatch that movie because I did not grow up watching that movie. I grew up watching the Johnny Depp version, Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, which is the actual title of the novel that it's based off of. The movie, Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, with Gene Wilder, is based off the book, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So, I don't know why it was called that, why it was renamed. It's, it's essentially the same the same thing, I'm pretty sure. Just rebranded, I guess. But that, that movie, the, the, the Johnny Depp one, that was my Willy Wonka. I grew up on the Willy Wonka played by Johnny Depp. Pretty strange, pretty weird character, but he did it well. You know, he did the, he does those very odd characters very well. You know, Jack Sparrow, Willy Wonka, um, he does them very, very well. You know, very, I guess, um, what was his name, uh, in, um, wasn't he in Sleepy Hollow? He might have been in that. Or Sweeney Todd. I think that was another film that he did. Strange, strange characters that he does. But he likes doing that. He likes that that like that weird, bizarre character that he always seems to do like a like a just like uh a, a like a not normal character. And everybody else is like normal. But he's like the sore thumb, just doesn't make any sense. And he did that so well in the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie, and that movie is so old, like, I, I remember watching it in theaters, and it was, like, so cool to see, like, how cool it was, and it was so, like, over the top, but also kind of, um, not as wacky, I guess, as, um, as the Willy Wonka version, you know, I remember the, watching that movie, and seeing the Oompa Loompas appear on screen. And I had remembered that the Oompa Loompas were like these orange, car- not cartoony, but orange, like painted dudes, really short guys. And they were orange with green hair. And in the Johnny Depp version, they were like more of a realistic indigenous people from some kind of island that he went to. And they were just like a clone of the same, the the one actor guy who played every single Oompa Loompa. And I was like, oh, this is kind of weird. Like, I was so used to them being like more on the cartoonier side, being painted orange with green hair and being all small to this just like really short actor who looked like to fit the part of like, hey, you look like a guy that could be from an island 
why don't we make it so Willy Wonka travels to this island and gets all these little people to um, work his chocolate factory? That was so bizarre, but still funny, still fun, still a fun part of the movie. It was just like a weird, weird angle to go. And you know how Tim Burton makes his movies, you know, Tim Burton being the director of the the, the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and how he always makes like things like emo, dark, depressing. Like remember the house that um that Charlie and his family lived in? It was like a, a beat up like a almost like a destroyed house and they were in the middle of like a like a like a like a plot of land that had nothing around it, just a super small house. And they were all sleeping in one bed, probably all dying of hypothermia because they had to sleep with each other just to keep themselves warm. It was such a dark and depressing thing to just watch. And it was just like, oh my God, what the hell is this? I don't remember it being that like depressing, but that just might've been like Tim Burns, like his, his style of making it look like, you know, uh, gloomy and all that shit. But I will never forget that. In that movie, God, they made the Wonka bar one of the most desirable candy bars in the world. Like, Wonka bars exist in real life, and they exist in that movie. But they did not, they do not look as good as they look in that movie. Like, Jesus Christ. You look at a Wonka bar now. At least when I, you know, when I was trying to, you know, get Wonka bars when that movie was coming out and maybe a year after it was coming out, I was trying to find like good ass Wonka bars that look like just like that in the movie and you can't find them at like that anywhere. It's so depressing because um, they look so delicious and they look beautiful and they look like, you know, the most, the like one of the best like things in the world like a giant brick of chocolate that you you can just like devour and it looks amazing but with the in the reality they don't look like that at all they look like you know just regular old candy bars but you know what that's the beauty of movie magic is that they were able to make me look at that and be like i want that so bad i wish i had it because it was like just like a big chocolate brick i mean not as thick as a brick but like it you, it, you can look at it and when Charlie would bite into it, and when anybody would bite into the bar, it was like so hard, hard-ass chocolate. And I'm like, oh my god, that's like pure rich-ass chocolate right there. Like, I want that so bad. You know how chocolate is, like when you put it in the fridge, and it's like super hard to bite into? It was like that, but not in the fridge. I was like, damn, that looks amazing. I want that shit. But, you know, that's actually one of the things that you when you grow up, and you're like... They're like, don't meet your heroes. The Wonka bar was not my hero, obviously. It's a, it's a candy bar. But I met the Wonka bar in real life, and I was incredibly, incredibly disappointed at what I saw. And it was just like, huh, why did I why did I venture into this? Why did I even get the Wonka bar? I should have known by the cheap-ass rapper, like, oh, this is not what it looks like. It's probably going to be shit. And it was somewhat shit um but you know moving on last week i did not touch base on this at all because i was actually a little skeptical i was skeptical because i wasn't sure if i should really go dive deep into this at this moment I really was i wasn't entirely sure that i would be able to you know if i was going to believe what i was talking about and it's about last week, there was a video that came out, allegedly in this video, they capture Bigfoot. And if you've seen the video, it's on X, it's on Instagram, it's on YouTube, but it's a video and it's um, taken from like a train and the video is capturing like a remote area in like Colorado and in the video, you see what appears to be the one and only Bigfoot. And he's kind of walking for a little bit. Um, and then he just sits down and just sits there. And, you know, I look at the video. I'm analyzing it 
you know, through my eyes and I'm looking and I'm thinking to myself, like, you know what? I, you know what? I'm a, I am a Bigfoot believer. I am a Bigfoot believer. I do believe in him. Um, and I look at this video and I'm thinking to myself, well, you know what? They're right about this because this is a very, a very, very, very remote um, area of Colorado where this is being filmed. And this is being filmed like from a moving train. And I look at it and I'm analyzing it. And it looks just like, from what I can see, it looks just like the Bigfoot creature that is in the infamous video from like 1960-something of a Bigfoot walking down like a road. You know, he's got that like same type of stride. He has like the same shaggy hair, the long shaggy hair. And then in the video, he just kind of walks a little bit and then just sits down. And then that's it. And it's tough to see at first because the creature blends into his surroundings very, very well. And I'm actually curious because the 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 video is stabilized very, very well. And it seems to be in the right place at the right time. Which, for me, is like, damn, this is very... Um, convenient that a Bigfoot creature would just be walking around this area while this train is passing by and the person who's filming it gets an extremely stabilized video of the creature. But then again, we have not seen a video this this clear of a Bigfoot-type creature since the infamous video from, like, the 60s. And I'm thinking to myself, like... You know, after my, you know, my entire childhood essentially being fascinated by Bigfoot. And this isn't just because of that video too. And the and all the mysterious monster um shows that I used to watch on Animal Planet all the time. But actually one of the scarier shows that it was ever put on TV, Courage the Cowardly Dog, had an episode where he had to um, confront a Bigfoot. And that also, you know, fueled my imagination of what this thing could be, what it actually is. So I have had, you know, a desire to know, a fascination to discover, and to learn what on earth is Bigfoot. Like, what is he? Why is this thing so hard to find? Why does it seem so hard to track down? And why is it so polarizing? Like, why is Bigfoot considered to be a conspiracy theory? Like, I don't understand. Like, what? why would anyone not want to know what this is? And why is everybody so, you know, quick to jump that it's just a dude in a suit? You know, and of course I have my doubts, and of course I have my speculation, but ultimately, when you get evidence that is like this, that seems to be pretty concrete and pretty indefinite that this is a similar creature that was captured on video from the, since the, uh, you know, compared to the 1960s, pretty close to the actual, you know, thing that we saw back then. You know, walks the same kind of has the same shaggy hair now granted the video the new video that we have is from a much further distance and is a lot harder you know just to kind of compare the two but I looked long and I looked hard and I was looking and my god it looks just the same maybe a little bit skinnier in the new version but pretty damn similar and I was thinking to myself like yeah, that's probably Bigfoot. That's probably it. That has to be the Bigfoot. Now, I'm not sure if, like, Bigfoot is, you know, it, what kind of, you know, ecosystem or what kind of uh, climate that Bigfoot is used to. You know, to my knowledge, this time in Colorado is probably colder than usual. And I think that the uh, 
the video from the 60s was like also in like a mountainous region. So maybe he enjoys elevation. Maybe he is a more of a mountainous creature, which would, you know, kind of has been the folklore and been like the perception of where Bigfoot would be nesting. I mean, there have been so many times when I was a kid when I would go to Yosemite and go camping that I would actually be a little scared because I had been watching reruns and reruns and even new episodes of these um, these strange animal TV shows on Animal Planet. And it actually freaked me out so much that I would not want to go camping. And I would think that if I went there, I would find a Bigfoot. And I'd be like, holy hell, what is this? You know, also, like, we can't, like, forget, like, why we even call Bigfoot Bigfoot. It's because, you know, we found the prints of Bigfoot that were just, like, gigantic footprints. And the thing is, is, like, he's not just an ape. He has, like, a similar footprint to us. It's more humanoid than, like, an ape. So, like, you know, whatever this thing is, we need to figure it out what it is right now. I mean, that's, like, priority number one, in my opinion. Like, hey, we got some clear evidence right here in Colorado of you having a Bigfoot in your state. Care to answer some questions? Like, we need to figure out what this uncharted animal is. Because as far as my knowledge, and and known animals, and documented um Animals that live on this planet, we don't have anything or have anything documented of a creature that looks like this that lives in Colorado or mountainous regions. Like, this is some gigantic news that we need to discover, that we need to actually put in the forefront and get scientists and doctors and track this thing down. Because what if it is actually the, the missing link to our species? What if he's like a a, a long-lost relative or long-lost uh, creature that lived like in the Ice Age and is now found in like mountainous regions where they probably don't, you know, have a lot of like warmer weather, but there are, is times where it just snows and it snows and it kind of replicates an Ice Age type weather. And they can, like, live in this environment, and they have evolved a bit to where they don't need it to be snowing all the time in order for them to live. Possibly that might be something that, you know, is a is a factor in why we, fi- we find Bigfoot creatures or Bigfoot-type creatures living in the mountains because it's colder there. It's not as warm. Like, I don't think you're going to be finding a Bigfoot in Florida. You're probably not going to be finding a Bigfoot in a desert, right? So why these mountainous regions of where we find Bigfoot, you know? It's something that we need to actually uncover very soon. It's just something that needs to be discovered. If we have this video, this evidence, and we don't need... I mean, we have, like, no proof that it is a dude in the suit or, or, you know, somebody disguising or playing a prank... I mean, like, you would have to actually be somewhat crazy to pull this type of prank as dressing up as a Bigfoot and just going into some remote area of Colorado and hoping that you catch, you know, you're at the right time where you could walk a little bit, sit down, and that way, you know, some people who's on this train can videotape you and put it on social media, you know? It just seems a little bit too thought out for human beings to accomplish. I think that this type of video would have a lot of chaos to it. It would have a lot of planning to go on to. Well, maybe that's the case, though, because maybe the dude who is videotaping knows exactly where this guy is supposed to be. He points his phone, he zooms in just right, and boom, there it is. And that's why the camera footage is so stable. Maybe that's it, but also... I kind of think that it is legit because it's been so many years, so many long years of pretty much zero, zero footage that is credible or has any merit to it. And then we get this one that is like, whoa, this looks just like what I saw all those all those years ago 
from this other video, and it looks pretty much identical. Maybe that's, maybe it's actually true. Or maybe why we can't find Bigfoot is because Bigfoot is some kind of interdimensional being. Maybe Bigfoot is no way it's not possible to track down Bigfoot is because he has the ability to go through other dimensions that we simply cannot get to. Maybe him and maybe Nessie have the ability to go into other dimensions and hide away from our eyes, hide away from human beings and everybody on this planet. Maybe that is something that could be possible. I mean, it's very, very, very far-fetched, 100%. But how the hell are we not, how the hell, how the hell do we not know if Nessie is real or not? I mean, I would assume that a big, gigantic, serpent-like creature that emerged its head in Lake Loch Ness has not been found yet. That that has like a long neck, like a dinosaur, and like a body of like a, uh, you know, like a, you know what I'm talking about, but like how is that not found out? How is that not actually been proven real or fake? I, I just don't understand like how we have not come to the bottom of both of these um long-lasting mysteries like why don't we have the evidence of this yet could it be that they are actually interdimensional beings possibly is there a portal somewhere on earth where where these creatures have access and we do not it's it's sort of scary it doesn't really make sense but now that i think about it how could these creatures be going for so long and never been caught? Not Maybe not caught, but have not been discovered. It doesn't make any sense. It's just, it's a, it's a big ruse. It feels like a big prank. But, you know, I don't think anyone in their mind is going to be dressing. I think, I think if you're dressing up as Bigfoot, somebody's going to catch you. Someone's going to see that you actually did that. Or you'll be able to tell if the person who is is dressing up as Bigfoot that they're that they're just fucking around, that they're just dressing up as Bigfoot. I think that you know it'll be easy to tell if like a human being is in like a Bigfoot costume. I think it it'll be so easy for that to be spotted that it wouldn't take like any extra time to siphon that this is a prank and this is not real and this is somebody in a suit that's playing around and they're pretending to be Bigfoot and they got you they pranked you and you fell for it I think that that people can figure that out pretty pretty quickly like with this stuff that actually ponders the mind and you don't know anything about and you're actually scratching your head and you're thinking to yourself like well this could be real, but it also couldn't be real. I'm not too sure what I think about this. Well, then at that point, we have a bit of a problem because now you're thinking like, yeah, this is, this can't be a person. Once I think that creeps into your mind, right? Once you're like, yeah, this probably isn't an actual person, then I think we have something there. Then there's something that is worthy, I think, to be discovered. And that we should be investigating and launching some, you know, uh, launching some uh, investigations on what actually this is. I've always been a believer, Bigfoot, always, that he was some kind of creature. But just now I'm thinking to myself, maybe he's actually an interdimensional being. Him and Nessie that have the power to hide in plain sight from us without any actual, like, w you know, with like no way of actually revealing yourself because they know how to hide interdimensional. It's quite fascinating. You think about it a lot and you're like, this could be real. I mean, I can't see why it wouldn't be real. Why would this be fake? Why would it, why would it not be real? You know, that's also a theory with aliens as well, that these 
flying saucers, that these UAPs, these UFOs, are not from outer space, that they're not from other planets, that they are from another dimension. And the reason why, you know, they're able to travel here so fast is because they're not from outer space. They're from another dimension, another, there's like a gateway possibly on Earth that they can just kind of, you know, come in and out of with little to no trouble, little to no resistance that they can just like, boop, and then they're there. That could be a possibility. You know, I've seen Interstellar. That stuff is, you know, for the most part, probably fake, but I'm pretty sure that there is some science and some truth between dimensions and being able to to uh, communicate through those, you know, dimensions. And maybe there's like rifts or some shit where you're able to actually, you know, see people, see things that you should not be seeing that are not, that should not be seen in this dimension. You know, ghosts too. Ghosts might be interdimensional beings. They might not be spirits, or maybe they are spirits, but they have figured a way to um, communicate with us through different dimensions and not just like, you know, like a traditional ghost like Casper. Well, oh, I'm back from the dead. Hey, here I am. Or, you know, someone like that. I just feel like that is a more like a kidified version of like what it actually is. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, though. But hey. It gets your mind thinking, right? That's also kind of spooky topics, right? Bigfoot, kind of spooky. Uh, um, aliens, kind of spooky. Ghosts, spooky. Interdimensional beings, very, very, very spooky. Like, this is a spooky-themed episode of this podcast. Um, you know, of course, in the spirit of about to be Halloween in a couple weeks, I might as well, you know, throw some uh, you know spooky stuff in there. Um, let's see, moving on what we got here um this week actually didn't start that great you know as happy as i am now and i probably should have led this with the uh, led the episode with this but you know i mean every week is a new story every day is a new chapter in that story of the week and this week this current week started off not so great i'll be completely honest I ran into some car trouble for the first time really in my entire in my entire um ownership slash um uh person who pays for their car this car in particular that I drive the Honda Civic I got some car trouble this week cuz I didn't own it for the entire time that I've been driving, I was paying it off, and then I decided to, you know, you know, I was paying the rate, you know, the monthly rate. Then I decided to pay the whole thing off to keep the car, and now it is mine. But back to the point of car trouble. I actually was driving last week on the freeway, and I heard something, a rock, a little pebble or something, make contact with my windshield. I heard it, and I kind of was like looking around. You know, as I was driving on the freeway and I was looking and making sure that I didn't see anything like a chip or a crack. And as I was looking, I'm like, I don't see nothing. I'm good. That was that might have been like on a Friday or Thursday. And then Saturday goes by. I don't notice nothing. Sunday goes by. I don't notice anything. And by the time it's Sunday, I did not drive my car at all. Monday morning, I decide to go to the gym to go work out. And as I'm at the gym, you know, before I eat, but I, not even as I'm, I, I, not even when I leave for the gym. When I get to the gym, I get out, or I'm about to get out, and look out the window, and I see a crack forming down my windshield. And the crack is like more towards like the top of the windshield and it just goes downward and upward too. And it was getting kind of long. Like the crack was expanding for sure. Cause I had I had not noticed it at all those those three days, you know, when I heard that I made contact or something made contact with my windshield. I saw nothing. 
So I'm thinking to myself that, holy shit, this crack has been getting bigger and bigger for the past, you know, two days, and I didn't even notice it. So what do I do? I panic, you know. I Google, what am I supposed to do when my windshield is cracked like this? And they're like, well, is it a chip, or is it just like a little nick, or it's like a little you know, area of just a crack and that's it. I'm like, no, it's a, it's an impact. I see where it impacted. And then there's this giant crack that's expanding. You know, it's, it's starting to go make its way all the way down my windshield. I think I measured it on, um, Monday. It was actually a total of 11 and a half inches. It's pretty big. So at that point, I'm like, I call my insurance and I'm like, what do I do? How do I get this fixed? Like, we work through this company, and they'll come to your house, and then they'll replace your windshield. I was like, cool, awesome. And, you know, the day after was a Tuesday. I got it done on a Tuesday. I called on Monday, got it done the next day. The next day, you know, I noticed that it got bigger. At that point, before they came, it was 15 inches, the crack was. 15 I was like, holy shit, like, this is gonna probably, you know, I'm no expert on glass or windshields or whatever, but I was actually kind of getting a little nervous, because not only was it getting bigger, but I have seen, I have heard, actually, that if you don't get this fixed, or you don't get this this thing replaced, that it will, like, shatter your windshield, and I'm like, well, I gotta go to work and stuff, I gotta drive places, I cannot be having this type of anxiety anxiety with my windshield so i'm like fuck it let's just get this goddamn thing fixed so we did it took like less than an hour new windshield and i was like oh thank god and that was like the first time i actually had some sort of car trouble with this car and it wasn't even really the car it was the windshield it wasn't like the the engine the transmission anything like that it was just you know some i guess one of the more minor things that you can get fixed i mean Thank God I was able to get it, you know, looked at and fixed. Because I, I mean, like, I normally am not a very anxious person. But when it's something like this, where I know that there's options to get it fixed pretty quickly, and I ignore them, it's like, I mean, I might as well just be, you know, putting myself through a bad situation when I don't even need to. Like, I, I, there's no way I should have... I should be I should ignore this problem. Like this is a problem that could be easily fixed and my anxiety would go away. You know? But you know, that was kind of a rough start to the week, I'll be honest. And totally unexpected too. Like, you know, car trouble is always like you know, it's never planned. You're never like, oh, I'm gonna have a broken, you know, mirror in two months. I better prepare for this, or I'm gonna have a my transmission's gonna die in a in a year and a half. I better start saving for a new car. Like, no one's like that. You know, no one's like, knows when things is going to happen, when bad stuff will happen. It just happens. But thank God it wasn't as bad as it could have been. I mean, imagine if the rock was bigger, right? The rock that struck my car on the freeway was bigger. What if it was bigger? And what if it actually shattered my whole window? Then I would have been fucking pissed off. And just like, damn, I got to get this fixed as soon as possible, or I can't drive at all. But thank God it was just, uh, you know, it wasn't as bad as it was. Even though it was kind of annoying, it was definitely, you know, an annoyance and an inconvenience that nobody wants and nobody wishes to have. But it could have been a lot worse. could have been a lot worse. I mean, I hate that how that happens. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, sometimes you're just driving down the freeway, you know bopping to music or listening to a podcast hopefully this one and then just a, a just you hear a just a, a like something made contact with your windshield and you're like what the fuck what how does that even happen like i don't even think i was behind a truck or anything but i just heard a and i was like what no way like you gotta be kidding me like and that's happened before too like i've had Things make contact with my windshield. Things that hit my windshield. A lot of times. And nothing happens. But this one, I guess, was just the lucky one. It just made contact. And then I didn't notice anything. And then I saw it a few days later. I'm like, oh my god. This is going to get fixed right now. But you know, it could have been worse. Thank god. 
I hate when shit is on the road, man. I hate when shit is just on the road and it's just gonna it's it's just ready to cause havoc. Like ready to just ruin somebody's day. Like it's one of the worst things ever is when like you know when you see like a tire just in the middle of the road, like who the fuck left this there? Or some plywood or you can tell, like you can kind of see it from far away and you avoid it and then you look and you, as you're passing it, you see what it actually is, but you can't really make it out when you're, you know, coming up on it, but you, you adjust, you, you avoid it and you look and it's like a hammer. It's like, holy fuck. If someone does not see that their whole day is going to be ruined. Like this is going to be terrible. Um, but yeah, knock on wood for no more bullshit ass car trouble because that's, you know, one of the, some of the worst shit that, you know, could ever happen to anybody out there. You know, I, I hope that no one has that shit because it's, it is the worst ever. Moving on to some gaming news. Some gaming news, some games. This past weekend, I played the uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 multiplayer beta. Multiplayer beta. I got some thoughts on it, you know. For sure, you know, I played a good whole, you know, day and a half of it. And, you know, of course it came late to Xbox. Of course that's going to change now because Xbox now owns Activision, so that'll never happen again because the week prior it was only on PlayStation and people who, you know, people on PlayStation for the first weekend, which was the weekend before last weekend. And then in the middle of the week they, they announced that, you know, everybody who pre-ordered it could play the beta now. I didn't either. So I waited until this past weekend to play it on Xbox. And that's when I got my hands on it. And now I have some thoughts. Now I have some thoughts on Modern Warfare 3's multiplayer. Now if you don't know this, Modern Warfare 3, and I've covered this in the podcast in the previous episodes, but Modern Warfare 3's multiplayer is going to launch with all, not all new, (laughs) um, all remake maps from Modern Warfare 2. 2009 remade remastered whatever you want to call it their remakes of the old maps which includes rust terminal favela high rise and many many more and in the beta they had rust they had high rise they had favela they had invasion and then they had i think that there was one more oh estate and they had estate and i'll be honest like, it's very, very cool to have maps that are nostalgic, that we grew up playing with, that we played as kids, that we played for, for you know, for hours and hours and days and days. Even when newer CODs would come out, we would still play the, that game. Like, we would still play Modern Warfare 2 because it was just, you know, part of our childhood. Like, that was the Call of Duty that we grew up playing with. And that we grew up putting our most of our time into leveling up and gaming and prestiging and just doing custom games and, you know, quick scopes and knives only. That was the game that we sunk our teeth in and that we enjoyed the most, I think, growing up. Flash forward to 2023. I'm going to be completely honest. Like, I really wish that we had new maps like I understand that it's very very cool and nostalgic to have the classic maps back and look as good as they do which they look pretty damn good but when I play Modern Warfare 3's multiplayer beta one of the things that kind of just kind of fades away as soon as you get like maybe three games in is like what you feel at least what I feel what I feel when I play that game, when I played that beta after like a good three or four games is like, I've played this before. This is nothing new. This is the same. I kind of want new maps. Because let's face it, I mean like, the newest feature, usually, the one thing that makes the newest Call of Duty multiplayer feel the newest is the maps. Let's just be honest, because for the most part in the past, like, you know, two Call of Duties, the guns are pretty much similar enough to where you're like, this is kind of playing out the same way. 
you know, even like, of course, not like when you go from like a World War II Call of Duty game to like a a Vietnam War Call of Duty game to a modern warfare type of Call of Duty game. Of course, they're going to be different, but, you know, these are both Modern Warfare 2 and Modern Warfare 3 are modernized warfare, so they just seem too similar in that in that aspect and then we th- we we throw in maps that we've already played that that we that they've existed for years that we know everything about it doesn't really feel like a new Call of Duty game and i miss that i miss when it felt like a new Call of Duty game to me that's what Modern Warfare 2 2022 felt like was yeah we have classics like Dome but, you know, in older maps like, like Dome, but, like, we had all these new maps that we had to adapt to and learn how to, how they played, and some you liked and some you didn't like, but that's just part of the game and part of learning. Now we have these old maps that are classics, and the game doesn't feel new at all. The game feels very, very old. The game feels like there isn't much to it. That there isn't really much to be desired because every single map is a remake, and we've already known it. We know what it's gonna. We know how every map is going to go, and we know every nook and cranny pretty much. If you've been there since Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, 2009, then you're gonna know it. It's gonna. It's not gonna feel new, and that was one of my biggest takeaways with that entire beta. Is just like this game to me does not feel like a day one purchase it just doesn't you know I was getting a little sick and tired of just playing those same maps over and over again and listen it's cool that they have the map voting too you get to vote between one map or the other but honestly there's going to be a lot of people that have their favorites and a lot of people love a lot of lot of lot of people like loves one map more than the other and for the most part i just can only see that it's going to be like either terminal or rust or favela are going to be like the main maps that you play and that's because you know the the voters are going to vote for it so like if you're into that if you're okay with that then that could be a day one purchase but if you're like me and you're sitting there and you're playing this game and you're, you know, ranking up, and then you're getting kills, and playing the classic maps, and you're having fun, I was having fun, but at the back of your head, in the back of your head, if you're like me, you're like, yeah, this is cool, but I played this before, I don't think I need to spend $70 to play this again, like, this is gonna be a full price $70 game from Activision, like, I don't think that this is worth $70. I just can't see myself shelling out $70 to play it. Now, of course, being where the state of gaming is, and, you know, if you're a solo player and you don't have any friends, you'll probably play this and, you know, have a lot of fun. But if you're like me, who has a ton of friends that still game and we game online all the time, one of the games that me and my friends like to play together that we all kind of like, that we can all grasp the concept, and that we, we can all play together, the game is Call of Duty. And a lot of my friends are actually very, very split on Modern Warfare 2. So that game pretty much died within, you know, halfway through my friend group. Halfway with my friend group through halfway through of the game's lifespan. So at the moment, the only game that we really play together is Halo Infinite. And Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 would have been a nice addition to it, you know, and it would be it would be a new game. There would be a lot of things to, you know, unlock and play, you know, things to work for uh, towards in the battle pass that they'll eventually put out. But now I look at it, I'm seeing it, and I'm like, I don't know if I want to buy this day one, I'll be honest. I really don't think that I want to buy it. So that's kind of the sad part, is like, it's a game that we, all my friends, want to play. Like, we would be so down to play it. 
you know, squad up and play, you know, whatever, wherever it's multiplayer, maybe Warzone. But at the most part, for the most part, we're all very like lukewarm on buying it day one. And I think partially is because the realization of like, yeah, this is this is the old stuff. We've all played this before. It's kind of the same. It's not there isn't much new. There's nothing really new to offer. And I think that that is kind of a more of a it's an unfortunate thing. It's unfortunate. I mean I don't understand why they just didn't like, you know, add these maps into Modern Warfare 2 for like uh, seasons or whatever. Like they could have done that and it would have been a much better, I think, uh, approach instead of putting out a a new $70 game. And I I know that there's going to be a campaign and a new Warzone and a new Zombies, but they probably could have held off on that for another year. If I'm being completely honest, or just make it all add-ons, like you just it just adds on within the next season, and then that's how they do it. But now they wanted to make a whole new game, I guess, or at least you know push out a whole new game. I'm not sure if they wanted to make it or not, but seems like this Modern Warfare Three is a little forced. If I'm being completely honest, and uh, yeah, it just feels a little forced, and I don't know if I'm gonna pick it up on day one i'll be completely honest with you guys it does not scream to me you need this game now i need it now i mean the gunplay is cool the gun the gunplay is fine some of the kill streaks are kind of annoying uh the guns are pretty cool uh the perks are sick um it's fun it's a fun game to play but i just don't feel like it's worth 70 dollars to buy it day one to play maps that you've already played I'm just being completely honest. I don't think it's worth the seventy dollars to to buy a day one to play maps that you've that I've already played that we've already all played. Um, yeah, it's sad. It's unfortunate, but um, I think that that's just where we're at right now with Call of Duty. Me and my friends are just kind of like this one is just not really it's not really catching us. And it doesn't feel like a new Call of Duty game. It feels like an old one. Like I'm like I'm just like gonna you know. Go back into some old maps and play some classic Call of Duty. That's what it feels like. And I don't think I want to pay $70 to do that again. I don't think that it's worth it. I don't think that anyone should do that because I don't see the value. Uh, but if you want to do it, go ahead. I, I, I No one's stopping you. I just don't think I'll get it day one. Probably I'll probably wait for like you know maybe a Black Friday sale. Maybe a Christmas sale. Maybe I'll get it for Christmas. I don't know. But I'm just going to probably sit out on it. But you know what? As much as I say this, sometimes my friends might, you know, I, I might feel like if some people get it, I'll feel left out. And I'll be like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just go. And then after that, I'll feel like the guilt of like, why did I buy this? Now, I haven't felt that guilt of buying that shit since I purchased Call of Duty Vanguard two years ago, that was probably the biggest mistake of my entire life. And I will never forget that. But I also, you know, quoting um, the Black Ops Cold War trailers, know your history or be doomed to repeat it. I will not forget what I did in purchasing Call of Duty Vanguard. And this game kind of feels not as bad as vanguard it does feel like a better more polished game but essentially it's just the same thing that i've already played years ago so i don't know it doesn't seem like it's worth it i might just skip it and we'll see uh moving on though moving on little sad boy hours um time to get sad i guess um as you might have known Last Thursday was um, game three of the NLDS between the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks. And uh, you all know this. The Dodgers lost. They lost that game. They ended up getting swept in the National League Divisional Series to the piece-of-shit Diamondbacks that are not good, that are down 2-0 to the Philadelphia Phillies at the moment. And, uh, yeah, I'm pissed off. I'm pissed off because I got, I got duped yet again. 
got duped again. Stellar regular season, won 100 games, and flame out, just get obliterated in the postseason. Classic Dodgers flame out, as always. It happens far too frequently, far too often, and I'm sick of it. I'm sick and tired of it. I'm sick and tired of this dude named Clayton Kershaw that is our number one pitcher when he is called up to pitch in the most important games of the year and he's, you know, called the one of the better pitchers in the league and is our number one starter. How have we not, as a team, how have we not figured it out that he cannot pitch in the postseason, and he should be banned from po- uh, pitching in Dodgers postseason games. The man gave up six goddamn runs in the first half of the inning in game one against the Diamondbacks with zero outs. We were down 6 0 with zero outs in the beginning of the game. Unacceptable unacceptable that man broke the team's spirit he broke it there is actually no way you can spin it that he did not break it because every single time every year he throws the a perfect pitch for the opposing team to just whack out of the stadium, into the stands, and then he, what does he do? He puts his hands on his knees, and he lowers his head. He's like, why me? What are you talking about? It's, it is your fault. It's always your fault. You cannot allow six goddamn runs in the first inning of the divisional series. It is un acceptable you honestly think that those other men had the spirit to make a comeback absolutely not once that happened i turned off the game i was you know and i was pumped before that i was excited i was wearing my dodger shirt i was excited i texted my family let's go i'm ready and then they do this shit to me they disrespect me. They disrespected me. Like, I don't care who you are. I should not, as a fan of this team, I should not have to watch a 100-win regular season baseball team that seems to have it all absolutely crumble in the postseason. I should not have to witness that. I should not have to pay their salary to see this ultimately happen when it truly matters. It should not be possible. It should not be allowed. It should not be allowed. The way that Clayton Kershaw disrespected me as a fan, unacceptable. He broke not only the team spirit, but he broke my spirit. My entire spirit throughout that entire season was broken. I was not looking forward to games. I was not looking forward to watch this team. Knowing who we had pitching, I was like, there's no fucking way. There's no way. We 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 lost. And you know why? It's not just because of Clayton Kershaw. We also could not, for the life of us, hit a baseball. For some reason, we don't know how to hit when it matters, Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, this entire National League Divisional Series, went 1 for 22, I believe. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. Disrespectful. Disgusting. You owe me an apology. You owe me an apology. I should not have to watch this. We should not have to pay for you to do this. You you cannot tell me that that, that is acceptable. It's not. It's unacceptable. It, it, it actually is disrespectful to me as a as a fan. 
I mean, there were times where I was like, I was so unengaged and so broken and so furious and so just like appalled at what I was seeing not happen. The amount of fight, which was zero from that entire team throughout that whole series, getting swept by the Diamondbacks. Don't you dare ever do that again to me. That is the most disrespectful thing that you could do to me. So bad. You better wipe this from your minds. Get rid of Clayton Kershaw. Fire Dave Roberts because he clearly does not know how to motivate the men to come back because there was zero fight on that team. Zero fight, zero spirit, zero motivation, zero hope, nothing. They should have just forfeited the whole series. After that stupid bitch-ass first game, what was it, 12-2? to two? I was like, get this shit out of my face. I'm over. I'm done. I'm done. I can't. I, I cannot continue with this again. They need to get rid of Dave Roberts. It, 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 his team's broken. Actually broken. We 100 wins? No. No. Disrespectful. Disrespectful. Who cares? I was actually going in more positively because they didn't actually win you know, the number one seed in the National League. And I was like thinking to myself like, oh, you know, we're not the number one seed. Maybe we'll do better. Maybe we might win the whole thing. No, I thought wrong. Swept. Bullshit. Uncompetitive. Broken spirits. My spirit broken. I mean, who gives a shit? Who 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 cares? Who fucking cares? You know, I, I had kind of forgot about it after we... Lost the last game last week, but you know, now now remembering what it, what had transpired, what had happened, actually pathetic. Like my spirit was broken. I could not. I could not fathom how a team that was so good for the regular season just not do anything. I get it. We had our pitching was decimated. It was decimated, but still, you tell me you can't hit the goddamn ball, you can't, you can't be competitive, you can't try to keep up with them. Like, how, how, Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman? Are you kidding me? How, how does this happen? Now I know that that there isn't really much support besides Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. Like if you look at if you look at our lineup. There ain't a whole lot of support. I mean, Will Smith, J.D. Martinez, but, like, no one really else. Like, we need we need some help there, too, but even our top guys couldn't do shit. They're just like, okay, fuck it, whatever. Ain't gonna try, fuck, whatever. Disrespectful. I, I was disrespected. That whole team disrespected me. Number one disrespecter, Clayton Kershaw, that motherfucker. Listen, bro. I know... That you've done us some very good stuff in in the in the regular season. You're fucking lights out. You're incredible. But dude, I think that you should be banned from pitching a postseason game because you you almost lose it for the team. You do. I mean, six runs. Like no, no. Dave Roberts, you keeping him in there? You keeping him in there for that long? No. Mm-mm. You should know by now. You, that whole team should know by now. It's been years of this. Like, it's time to go. Time's up. It's over. If they don't get rid of these guys, then they clearly don't care. If they continue to start these guys in the postseason, like if I see next year Clayton Kershaw to start game one, I will literally not watch it because I know what will happen. Don't tell me it's not going to happen because it will happen again. But yeah, that was not something that I enjoyed watching and I want to forget it as quick as possible because actually embarrassing, pathetic, uninspired, broken-spirited, and disrespectful. Not okay. Unacceptable. Anyways, people, that's going to be it for me today. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And remember, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube 
at Intelligent Moron with Alex Silva. You can um, make sure to like, subscribe, rate, review, do all that good stuff. And yes, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And I will see you guys next week.